Welcome to the Holistic Goddess Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Gregg, registered holistic nutritionist and nutritional therapist. I am so excited to deep dive into all things holistic health and wellness with you. Let's empower each other to live the optimal life that we deserve using a mind, body, and spirit approach to wellness. Let's dive in. Ladies, do you want to learn more about your body and actually get to the root cause of your symptoms? Well, I have just the program for you. The Healthy Hormone Mastery Program is a 12-week all-encompassing program that is going to naturally heal your symptoms using food and lifestyle strategies. I have helped so many women completely reverse their pain, acne, digestive problems, hormonal imbalances, and feel like the vibrant woman they deserve to be. If this resonates, I would love to walk with you on your journey to health. The link is in the show notes to apply. Back to the episode. Hello, hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Goddess Podcast. I am here with Dr. Loredana Shapson and I am so excited for the amazing, amazing information that she's going to share with us today. Uh, so welcome, welcome. Good. Thank you for having me here. It was like when I saw your podcast titled the Goddess, Holistic Goddess, I was like, yes, this is for me. <laughs> Yes, I love it. I love it. And yeah, just that, you know, authentic reach of someone who's like, I need to be on that. I love that. Um, so thank you for reaching out. And let's get rolling. So tell us just a little bit about yourself. Tell us your story. And you know, what has brought you to what you're now doing today? Yeah, so great question. My I had two things that kind of brought me here. One was my personal health issues that I could not resolve on my own um, and with the help of medical care. So I had constipation most of my whole life. I had an episode, like a really random episode of diarrhea in college and they called it IBS. And then it went away randomly back to constipation. Then I started bloating out of nowhere and it would be sometimes with certain foods, sometimes I'd be fine. And then I went to go see a doctor for that and he prescribed me an antibiotic. And I was on it for two weeks. It was a really long time. And I was also doing my own research and throwing my own supplements at it. And after that time, my bloating, I didn't get better after seeing the doctor. I actually got worse. And all they called it was IBS. And it was to the point where I would wake up every morning, drink a glass of water, and I would bloat as if I was pregnant. It was so frustrating. It was embarrassing. It really affected my social life. I was afraid to go out. You know, what do I, what do I eat if I go out? What if I don't eat? Are people going to ask me what's wrong? What do I say? And then I started to develop these really unhealthy patterns of not eating, which fasting can be helpful. However, over fasting and not eating and depriving your gut of a lot of nutrients really starves the gut bacteria and makes the situation worse. So I learned the hard way that everything that I did like tore my gut down instead of building it back up. And so I went through a lot of trial and error and a lot of struggles. And that was with a doctor on my side who just chalked it up to IBS. And during this time, I had four stool tests. I had a SIBO breath test, which is one that tests for something called small intestine bacterial overgrowth. I had blood work. I had something called a urinary oat test twice. All of these tests, by the way, not covered my insurance. And after all this stuff, the doctors still weren't able to help me in the support systems that I had. So it was just extremely frustrating to spend thousands of dollars through the medical system and not get help. Now on the next side of this, what else to further that, the second thing that really brought me here was my career. I'm a pharmacist. I worked in the pharmacy field for almost 12 years, and I just saw a lot of unhealthy patterns that the more medicine people were on, they ended up getting on more and more after that. It was like this chain reaction effect of, of more medicine. And then I saw people becoming younger and younger, lots of teenagers and 20 year olds and, and children starting on medicines that I wouldn't see, you know, when I first started, they, there were things being prescribed for blood pressure and diabetes and 60 year olds. Now I was seeing it in 20 year olds. It was just alarming. So realizing that 
being in my field of medicine, that medicines are band-aids. They don't really address the root problem. They're necessary. Don't get me wrong. I don't poo-poo medicine. I'm not one of those people. I think there's a time and a place for certain things. But when it comes to our chronic conditions and the stuff that we're dealing with day to day, they the medicines are there to help you feel better right now in the short term. But then you need to do more work to say, okay, what could be causing this? And then you have to come off of your medicine so that you could see are you healing yourself? Is it working? Otherwise it's that mask and that band-aid is always going to be there to hinder your, your knowing of self. So, so yeah, so I healed myself at the end of the day. I forgot to mention that <laughs> with my, with my background, with my background, I was able to research, um, all the medical stuff, clinical studies and trials and gut health. And that was how I got myself out of this was I did my own trainings and, and education and tried everything out on myself. And then I put everything in place with my patients. And now I'm teaching the world through podcasts and YouTube and Instagram. <laughs> so good. So good. And yes, like that is just the ultimate outcome that we want to hear, right? Like being able to heal, heal yourself using, you know, known things that we have in our world you know food lifestyle supplements and gosh I just so many people don't understand that um it it doesn't have to necessarily be the end game and that's always what I tell my clients too you know yeah if you're on anxiety medication that is totally fine um but ultimately you know we want to we want to supplement with some dietary changes, some lifestyle changes, and ultimately we're going to decrease that medication. So that's not the end point. Right. And yeah, it's, it's so frustrating to me that, um, as you know, doctors are prescribing the medications, which is great. It's going to help you feel better immediately. They're not also saying, and you need to see this nutritionist, or you need to see this naturopathic doctor that can get you some really good strategies so that you don't have to be a repeat customer here. And again, you're not going to be continuing to take more medication and more medication and more medication. Mm -hmm. Something you touched on with anxiety is something I see personally in my office and I've also seen in clinical studies. So there's two I'd like to share. Um, one study was done was they looked at patients in regards to their gut health. What is that impact on their brain health? And they found that patients with bloating and IBS symptoms had higher levels of neuroticism, lower levels of extrovertism, meaning they wanted to stay home. They didn't want to go out less social. Um, they had more anxiety. And so we're seeing that the brain is so greatly tied to your gut health. So that was one study to show that yes, when your gut's upset, your brain's upset. And I personally went through that and I see it in my office with all my patients. Now, here's what's cool about the next study is the next study was cool because it looked at nursing students. They were third year, obviously high stress, you know, concerned, but they did not have a diagnosis of say anxiety or depression, but um, they wanted to see, does taking a probiotic change your mood? And so they took a probiotic for 30 days and they asked them before and after how they felt. And they said that afterwards, we see that they were happier, they were more motivated, and they had more energy. So now we're even seeing that probiotics can help people go from normal mood to even better. So it's really cool to see that, you know, we can even support people all around with their gut health. So I love gut health. This is my jam. (laughs) Yeah, and it's so amazing. And yeah, people just we typically don't get enough probiotics in our food, right? It's, it's very hard to be achieving those healthy therapeutic levels in our food sources. So yeah, that was, that was one of my questions that I had for you. Like, what is, um, what is your go-to? Are you a food person or do you, you know, recommend that supplement usually when we're talking about just starting out to kind of repopulate that gut health? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say I'm a both person. <laughs> I like food and I, food is a hugely paramount, but I have also value supplements a hundred percent. I've worked with just patients with just food and I get some results and it takes a lot longer with just food, but it's mm-hmm. possible. Um, but I see much greater benefits in supplements. And so, you know, when we talk about probiotic foods, let's start there. There's a handful of, of things that people may be aware of, right? The sauerkrauts, the kimchi, kefir, cultured butter, 
you know, bikavas. There's all these different types of fermented vegetables. And yes, they contain healthy probiotics. But the difference is, is when we look at the amount of probiotics in these foods, usually probiotics are measured in billions. Okay. So when we look at, say, yogurt or maybe kefir or any sauerkraut, you're getting anywhere from like one to three billion. And that's in a pretty large serving. You're talking about eating a cup. Okay. So that's a huge amount. Most people aren't eating a cup of sauerkraut. <laughs> okay. And then when we get to the probiotics, when we look at supplements, now we're seeing that the doses are 10 billion, 25 billion, 30, we see 50, we see a hundred. You're getting a much higher dose clinically using a probiotic supplement. So I find that I get greater results when we can really use the probiotic supplements in the beginning to help repopulate the bacteria with the good guys and start crowding out those bad guys. So yes, I use both and, but I absolutely always supplements are required to work with me um, just because of my experience of working with over 350 patients one-on-one -on -one and, you know, doing this for six years, I've just seen the difference when supplements are added, it's more, more efficient. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's ultimately what we want, right? We want you to feel good as fast as possible. So um, supplements are often just an amazing tool to kind of get that there. And then, so you kind of mentioned about how you know, we can be taking probiotics for, you know, just elevation of our mood, of our life, essentially. Um, what is your typical recommendation when it comes to um, staying on the same probiotic for a long time or staying on it forever? You know, what what are your mm -hmm. thoughts there? So I'm going to refer to my clinical experience and what I see in clinical research. So when we look at clinical studies, the average length of these studies range. Sometimes they're seven days, sometimes they're a month, sometimes they're three months, six months, up to a year. And what we see in these studies is they're not changing the probiotic. They're taking the same exact one every single day and just letting it kind of do its job with time. And we find that you don't really have to rotate your probiotics. You can take the same one as long as it's, there's certain, there's three different types of probiotic we can go to towards at the end, but um, you can take the same probiotic and just stick with it once a day. Don't make it harder than it has to be and um, stay with it. But what we see in clinical research is the peak benefit starts at about two months and usually up to three months. And like I said, for some skin conditions in children, we see six months for lowering respiratory infections and vaginal infections in women, we see up to a year. So different conditions have different times, length times. So how I work with my patients is I'll start them on a probiotic. I start them on one type of probiotic for the first month, make sure they tolerate that. Then I add them on the second type of a probiotic in the second month. And, and now they're adding this one into the other one. So now they're on two probiotics in month two. And then we stay on both of those together for the minimum of three months. And then we see how they're doing. We see what their goals are. We see what their symptoms are doing. And we decide, do we continue these every single day? Or can we start to go to every other day? And eventually we do get there. It's just kind of like, whoop, dropping them in. Here you go. Keeping them, keeping these guys alive, um, moving them through. So definitely that's how I see it is three months minimum. And the reason why I also want to bring this up is because a lot of my patients that come into me will say, well, I started a probiotic and I didn't notice any difference. So I stopped it. And then I have to ask, well, how long were you on it? And so they'll say like, oh, I tried it for like two or three weeks. I didn't notice a difference. And that's, you just didn't give it enough time. You can see some shifts in your, in your gut health or, or some symptoms in the first couple of weeks. And as long as you're feeling some improvement, then yes, you should stay on that, but, and give it more time. Um, so if you're out there and this is you give it another shot and stick with it and, and don't give up, try and give it a minimum of two months, especially if you're constipated, constipation studies show a minimum of two months before anything even changes with your constipation. So be persistent. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, yeah, that's such a common thing to hear, you know, well, I used to take one, but I didn't really notice any changes. Well, were you changing your dietary stuff? Were you under a lot of stress? You know, all of these things are so connected. And if you're not changing diet, if you're under a whole bunch of stress, then those probiotics are going to take so much longer yeah. to have their impact, right? That's a good point you just made. It's a holistic approach. Some yeah. people say, oh, I, I avoided gluten and nothing changed, or I avoided dairy and nothing changed. And it's like, no, no, no. 
you need to look at everything in your life because everything matters. How you eat, how you sleep, how you exercise, all of that is important for your gut health. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk gut health. Let's talk everything that is impacted by your gut. So we talked about the gut brain access already. So the anxiety, the mental health, you know, so, so connected. We create, you know, an abundance of our happiness hormones in our gut. What else? Let's talk weight. Let's talk hormones, all the good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, so you're asking what do, what does correcting gut health correct in your body? Yes. Long. Are you ready for it? (laughs) So here's what we know in clinical research, and this is why I have shifted my my practice to gut health in the past two years, because everyone who came into my office has an underlying gut issue, no matter how minor it is. um, It is an issue, and it needs to be corrected. Because we're seeing clinical research, we can touch on many different parts of your health. So we already talked a little bit about. Well, we didn't really talk about this yet, but we talked about depression and anxiety, but some other areas where we have really good scientific evidence is any symptom related to IBS. So that's gas, bloating, diarrhea, reflux, constipation, abdominal pain, and even those people that have antibiotic associated diarrhea, like after taking an antibiotic, they have that issue. So all those can be corrected when you use a probiotic. The next is irritable bowel disease. So these diseases are Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. We see those improve. We also see gut infections improve. So things like SIBO, which is small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Common symptom of that is really intense bloating in the belly after eating. And then other gut infections like H. pylori or even candida and fungus and parasites. Next is something called leaky gut syndrome. I mean, everyone's heard this is like the buzzword now in the holistic world and and even in in conventional medicine, but leaky gut is essentially things are getting into your bloodstream that shouldn't through your intestinal wall. And that's causing a lot of irritation and inflammation. And so when we seal up leaky gut, we're, we're lowering your gut inflammation and overall body inflammation. And when we think about all the diseases that we have today, they're mostly diseases of inflammation, you know, between our obesity and all of that. So I'll go into these other conditions in a second. Um, something else to go back to though, um, infections improve with use of probiotics, specifically respiratory infections in children. We see that they get one less respiratory infection per year, less missed days of school. Um, their eczema gets better, their skin stuff women vaginal infections get better and we're talking candida and yeast infections as well as uti infections now there's this other group here is we have really good evidence for but we're we're waiting for more to come out it's limited but encouraging so things like cognitive health um, brain fog cognitive function alzheimer's disease bipolar disease then women, right? You got women as part of your listeners here. Hormonal health gets better. We're seeing improvements in thyroid, in PCOS, endometriosis, and bone density. I just had a patient just come into me yesterday, and she was diagnosed with PCOS last year. We put her on probiotics and revamped her gut, and she started to lose weight, and I taught her how to fast appropriately for her hormones. And she just went back to the doctor yesterday to report to me that her PCOS is gone. Doesn't have any more, not showing signs, ovaries look healthy. Her one ovary on ultrasound showed a little bit larger. And now this last ultrasound showed it was normal. So unbelievable to see that probiotics and gut health is important for your hormonal health as well. Now, now I got four more to go. So allergies, people who can't eat dairy now all of a sudden can. We're seeing that some of our bacteria in our gut, they release enzymes that we can't. So they're helping us break down food that we cannot. And dairy is one of those. Um, We see seasonal allergies get better, celiac disease, which is those who have allergy to wheat. And then we have autoimmune conditions. So rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis. And then here's the cool one that just came out, um, metabolic health. So when we look at lab work or blood work, we see after three months of taking a probiotic in this group of women who was studied, their blood sugar got better, cholesterol got better, blood pressure, insulin resistance, and then P- and then there's also studies that weight loss can occur with people who are just taking a probiotic. It's amazing to see. So you can see we can touch almost every part of the body just by helping your gut health and using probiotics. Yes. It's it's always so amazing to listen to when one part of your body literally controls so much and 
when it is healthy, when it is thriving, we don't see these issues as these illnesses coming up. Again, those big diseases of inflammation, you know, those that essentially is the biggest marker of health, right? Like how high is your inflammation in your body and our gut controls everything. So, so, so good. Um, in terms of a probiotic as a starting point, is there a specific one strain or specific strains for certain um, illnesses that you recommend? Or is there like a good generalized starter for mm -hmm. someone listening to this that just doesn't know? Yeah. So this is another myth that a lot of people will talk about with probiotics because I have to, there's got to be a certain strain that treats this certain condition. And the data really is still out. All those conditions that I just mentioned all have studies tied to them, you know, randomized placebo controlled double blind trials that test all these probiotics. And what we find is that some, some, there's three different types of probiotics and sometimes they're using one type. Sometimes they're using the other type. Sometimes they're using both and they're keeping it the same the whole time. And we're still seeing benefits. So again, I like to approach this as a general thing. So to tap into the types of probiotics, the first type that I start most people on is called a spore-based probiotic, also called a soil-based. So my favorite brand, and I'll give your, your users a brand name because I think it's safe for infants, it's children, if you're pregnant, it's anyone can use it. And it's called Megaspore Biotic. And it's by a company called Microbiome Labs. And so for adults, I don't start people, I never follow the bottle instructions. I find that gut health, uh, the less is better. We want to go very low and slow. So I'll start patients on one capsule every other day for about a week, maybe two weeks. And then we take one capsule a day thereafter and we stay there. And the reason why is because, when, again, when we look at the doses of these spore-based probiotics that are used in clinical research, the average dose is about 3 billion. It's really, really low. You actually don't need that much. And these guys are pretty powerful. So we don't need that much. And that's why we always started a really low dose. So that's the first one I start people on because it's very well tolerated. And I have the least amount of reactions with this mega spore biotic. This is also something you can't find in your pharmacy. You can't just walk up to CVS or anywhere to pick one of these up. These are typically sold through a practitioner like myself, or you can sometimes find it on Amazon, but sometimes the prices are way higher on Amazon than what you can get through a practitioner. But this is where I start for most people. Yeah, love it. Um, so you're in the States, we're in Canada. So typically we have um, like a health food store that you can go to these, yeah. this is where all the healthy supplements are, um, or an absolutely like providers like yourself as well. Um, but if the supplement stores are so much more common in Canada than uh, the States I've noticed. <laughs> oh yeah. You probably have it right on your shelf there. And you can even just talk to the person behind the counter and ask for a spore-based probiotic. And then to give your listeners a strain to look for when you yeah. read the ingredients label, it's called bacillus. That's what it starts with. And, you know, the, the, again, you don't need a lot. There's only three or four of them that you'll find in the bottle. And that's just enough to get you moving. And here's the funny thing, the spore-based probiotics, if we just played outside in the dirt more and we were in nature, we would be exposed to these. I know, <laughs> but, I know. Like if we just like got dirty and like stopped worrying about all the germs and dirt on our hands. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so that was type one. That's where I start people. And the reason why, I, like I mentioned before, was they have less reactions to them because these particular strains don't release histamine. And a lot of people with gut problems have a histamine problem. And so it's because their immune system is so overexcited and overactivated from all that leaky gut stuff that's been going on that histamine gets over-released. So that's where you get the allergies, the stuffy nose, the respiratory infections, the headaches. You have all these sorts of conditions. So the, once we start bringing in these bacillus strains and the spore-based probiotics, they'll be better able to tolerate um, some of the next, the next type, which is called the bifidobacterium and lactobacillus strains. So there is a blend. I like to find a product that has anywhere from eight to 12 different species. It'll be on the label that you, when you look at the bottle, I think the more species, the better. And then when we look at clinical research, the average dose used in studies is about 25 billion. So half the time it's less than that, half the time it's above that. Now, right. what I use in my office is 50 billion, and I really don't go any higher than that. 
I find that the if I go higher than that, I get reactions. You know, that sometimes they feel flu-like. And it's not a bad thing to have a reaction. It's just that we're going too fast, too quickly. And you're just throwing off a lot of trash and you're detoxing. So we just yeah. got to go a little slower. So 50 seems to be a great start for my patients. And then again, I start low and slow every other day for about a week or two. And then we go to one daily. So that's my progression. That's month one and month two. And I would say those are easy to find at any pharmacy. You can walk into a CVS. Um, they're they're pretty good. I will say that quality can can be of a concern. How long have they been sitting on the shelf? Those kinds of things. Um, I have noticed that some patients are taking some over over the counter ones or some from Amazon, and they've been on it for a while. And I notice that they're not shifting. Like sometimes I'm like, hey, you already have a supply at home. Let's use what you've got. And then when I switch them, I'm like, let's just try mine. Let me try my trusted, quality tested, professional grade supplement that I get from Fullscript. Let's get that one and see what happens. And constantly when I switch people, they come back in and say, oh, wow, I feel a difference. I felt like something was happening, you know, so quality matters. So if you're not feeling good on your probiotic, look at the quality of it as well. And then talk to a holistic person, like one of us who can help you through that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Quality is so important. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Um, yeah. You can't just walk in and buy it off the shelf at like a drugstore. It's not the same and it's not going to be therapeutic in nature. Yes. Um, okay. So let's shift gears and chat about, uh, the hormone connection. So, yeah. um, yeah, I love talking about hormones, women's yeah. hormone health, um, specifically that, you know, there's a whole colony of bacteria in there that essentially is going to help eliminate symptoms that women associate as being normal when it comes to their periods or, perimenopause or menopause, you know, the hot flashes, the cramps, the bloating. And when we start nourishing this part of the gut, those symptoms will start to dissolve. Yeah. So you are someone who is able to chat about how fasting can be really, really beneficial for women in terms of, you know, in their cycling years. Um, so let's riff on that a little bit. Yeah. So I, this is probably one of the most important things I teach all my patients is how to fast and eat and live for your hormones. So first thing we have to understand is as women, we cycle every 28 to 30 days. Everyone's a little bit different, but our hormones are changing every single day during that 30 day cycle. And so we need to honor that those hormones are going to change the way that you feel. They're going to change the way that you want to eat and how you want to work out and how you're motivated through your life. So we need to understand what these situations are so that we can support them the best that we can, but also still do what we want to do in life. So, you know, when we compare this to men, men cycle every 24 hours, that's it. So they don't have to really do anything crazy or shift. So for the cycling woman and for, for someone who's cycling, that means you're getting a period, right? You still get your period, you know, on a consistent basis, hopefully every 20 to 30 days, but some women are off and they're a little longer. Following a fasting pro uh, protocol for your hormones will help regulate your cycle. So if you have a 36 day cycle, following this procedure and, and fasting like a girl is going to bring you back down to normal, like 28 day cycle, 30 cycle. If you're infertile, you're having issues with fertility or PCOS, following this is going to help you live appropriately so you can support the, the growth and the release of these hormones properly. So I guess we can dive into when is the best time to fast in your cycle? It's a big question. Right? Yeah. Do you have a question that you are curious about? <laughs> no, I just, I literally just read, um, fast like a girl a couple oh, weeks yeah. ago. Um, exactly. because yeah, I have lots of clients that ask about it. I'm like, no, like, let's just focus on like blood sugar stability, reducing those stresses and, and that, um, but like my menopausal women, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we, let's, we, let's talk about fasting. So yeah, let's talk about optimal times for fasting for women and why, um, and why it's not good to do it in specific times also. Yeah, absolutely. So best time to fast and the, the trigger point is, uh, you know, between day one and 10 for most women. That is, we call that what just what Dr. Minnie Pels calls it is our power phase because that is when we are most powerful. When you first get your period, day one, you usually feel like a little bit like crap. 
you know, it's because all of your hormones are at their lowest. So usually I will start to pass at day two or three because I'm starting to feel a little good. And this is because my estrogen's starting to go up. My testosterone's going up a little bit. So I'm starting to feel good. This is when your body can handle a little bit more stress. And stress is eating very low carbohydrate. It could mean working out really, really hard. It could be stress at work. It could be having that difficult conversation, that kind of a thing. But this starts basically when you get your period, usually around day two or three is when I like to fast. So you can do a 20, you can do whatever you're comfortable with if you're new at fasting. 13 hours is a great place to start. If you're more advanced, you can do a 15 hour fast on these days. And then if you're even more advanced than that, you could do a three-day water fast, a 48-hour water fast, 36 hours, whatever you feel like doing, that first 10 days of your cycle is the best time to do it. And then the next best time to do it would be after you ovulate. So this is after you release an egg. Now, generally, we say it happens around day 14. Every woman is different. Um, and so usually you'll know when you've ovulated because right when you ovulate, this is when you're feeling amazing because a few days before that, this is when your estrogen, testosterone, and even your progesterone starts to go up. But this is when they're at their highest. So this is when you're social. You want to go out. You really want to dive into that closet that you really want to clean out and you haven't gotten to, right? You want to start a new business. This is the time of the month right before you ovulate between days 10 and 14 to do the difficult things in life. Um, you know, you can work out harder as well. You can lift heavy weights and do your Tabatas and your high intensity workouts. So this is when you're feeling amazing. Now, the time of the month when you really shouldn't fast, and this is when you should chill out, relax, and this is days 20 until you bleed. And this is because now at this point, your estrogen and testosterone, you've released an egg, your estrogen and testosterone are starting to come down. And what's coming in now is progesterone. She's the one that comes in. I like to call her the protector. She wants to protect that egg. It was just released. She wants to come in and she's telling you to chill out, put your pajamas on, say no to social events, don't work out as hard. She makes you hungry. These are the days when you're waking up hungry and you want to eat more because she's saying, hey, this egg just came out. I got to build this uterus wall so that this egg can implant. She's building a home and I need you to chill out so I can do that. And so this is where we're allowed to have more carbohydrates. So this is when you can eat up to 100 grams to 150 grams of net carbs, ideally from whole food sources like vegetables. And you want to much, much less from fruits. I'm not a huge fruit fan. We're not in fruit season anyway right now. We're in fall. But, you know, one fruit a day maybe, but mostly from vegetables. Um, that's going to give you the support that your progesterone needs to protect that uterus wall for that egg. So that's the time when you also don't want to fast. Fasting is good for the body, but it's also a stress on the body. It's albeit a good stress. So stress is, I would say, is progesterone's number one enemy. Cortisol will bring down progesterone in a second. So we need to make sure we're not releasing cortisol. So that's why you want to say no to your social events. Maybe you're chilling out. Don't start that new project at work and stress yourself out. This is where you want to take it easy and maybe do lighter workouts as well, like yoga and walking and all of that. So that was a nice like highlight reel. Is there anything that you want to add? Because you just read the book, so it's probably fresh in your mind. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. You you just highlighted everything that I talk about all the time. Um, <laughs> and it would not be a podcast episode on the Holistic God Goddess podcast if we didn't talk about the stress progesterone connection. So thank you for covering that. <laughs> um, and yeah, continue on, continue yeah. on. Yeah. Well, you had a question about menopause. And so a lot yes. of people will ask me about menopause. And what's great is menopause, you're not cycling. You don't have a period anymore. You're done. You're free. So essentially, you have the same freedom as, say, a guy does now with fasting. You can do it whenever you want, for as long as you want, however long you want. And so I like to tell my menopausal women that for a majority of their, I usually call it a 6-1. Okay, so for six days out of the week, you're going to eat pretty low carbohydrate. And when I say low carb, I mean under 50 grams. So pretty low. And then maybe one day a week, you have this big spike of carbs where you're eating 100 to 150 grams. And that's going to kind of mimic, hey, maybe my progesterone wants a little bit of support kind of a situation. That's also going to put you in a phase where you can lose weight as well. And at any point in time, when you're in that six day, your six day low carb window, you can throw in any kind of fast anytime you want. Um, so that's how menopausal women should really fast. And then, you know, they don't have to follow any type of schedule or really respect anything. I will say that there are a few mistakes that some people make when they fast is, especially for a menopausal woman, they'll just say, well, 
I intermittent fast and that's the only fast that I do. And that's not exactly going to give you any more benefits because our body's so, it's just human nature to find homeostasis and balance that after about three or four weeks, your body's going to say like, okay, I'm not going to get any more benefit from this. I'm going to readjust all my metabolic systems to adjust for you not eating breakfast anymore. And so I always recommend that all my women, you have to vary your fasts. Okay. So if you are intermittent fasting for three or four weeks at three or four weeks, you're going to throw in a 24 hour fast, and then you can go back to your intermittent fasting. But as long as every three to four weeks, you're doing something completely different, then that is going to help support your body's rhythms. Um, and then I would say the next biggest mistake I would say is people get too excited about fasting and then they overdo their fasting. Right. So for these women, we have something called a feast day. And so for my women who are regularly rotating fasts, and sometimes I have women who will do in their power phase, right? When they're allowed, when they can fast, when their body likes it the most, I will have them do maybe a 24 hour fast once a week, or if we're trying to be aggressive for weight loss, we'll do a 36 hour fast once a week, um, or sometimes a 48 depends on their goals. And then sometimes I will have them do a three day water fast, but that's less common. I would say the three day water fast I reserve for like once a year to maybe four times a year. But regardless, if you're doing a regularly extended fast, that's 24 hours or longer every single week, you have to throw in something called a feast day. And this is when you show your body a ton of calories. You're not going to intermittent fast. You're going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're going to eat at your will. You know, you're going to try and get your 150 grams of carbohydrates on this day and get a lot of protein in because we want your body to see a boost of nutrients and nutrition. So it's kind of one of those things where if you're fasting, you're fasting. If you're feasting, you're feasting. Those are very important to balance out. And this way your body knows it's safe to let go on your fasting days. Yeah, I love that. And I think another big mistake that people often make is what are you breaking the fast with, right? Yes. It it matters. It, it matters the quality of foods that you're putting in when you're breaking that fast. And yeah, I've had clients that, you know, have those feast days, but it's like chips and not nutrient dense foods that we want to be providing our body that nourishment with. And so what would you say is like the biggest, biggest benefit of fasting for that gut health portion? Yeah. So to support your gut health, we have a study out of MIT that shows that at a 24 hour mark, we see that gut stem cells are released. And so fasting and time without food just gives your gut that break. If you think about it, most people from the time that they wake up, from the time that they go to bed, they're popping food and snacks and eating all day long. Well, at that rate, your body is so focused on breaking down food, it doesn't pay attention to repairing your gut lining and really restoring the cells. So by time having time without food, you're going to allow for that healing to occur and at that 24-hour mark, Get you're seeing those gut stem cells. So I would say 24 hours would be the minimum for gut health. And I even like 36 hours because then you're even just pushing that gut, that gut stem cells to really have more time to do their thing in that, in that mark time. So that's my recommendation, 24 hours, once a week or 36 hours every now and again. So good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what? What did you, what do you think is the best place for someone listening to this? Who's really suffering with bloating after a meal, um, having the brain fog, maybe some constipation in there too. What's like the number one starting point, uh, that you would recommend someone to start with? Yeah, great question. And I think this is the missing piece of a lot of gut programs and gut research that I've done when I was doing my gut health journey. The missing piece is digestive enzymes. And digestive enzymes are not going to fix you long-term. These, again, are going to help you right now. Again, this is kind of like that Band-Aid approach we were talking about. It's going to help you feel good right now. It's going to help you break down your food so you're getting your nutrients because if you're experiencing bloating, that's a sign that you're not breaking down your food properly. Um, and that could be multiple reasons of why you're not releasing your own 
digestive enzymes. It could be an imbalanced gut. It could be that you're really stressed out when stress is on, digestion is off. And so if you're having constipation, bloating, any IBS symptoms, we need to support your body right now. Let's reduce some of that stress. Let's give you a digestive enzyme. And the one that I particularly like is one that contains betaine HCL. And betaine HCL should be by itself in its own supplement. Um, sometimes I see it paired and it's really not supposed to be that way because betaine HCL is an acidic uh, digestive enzyme and its job is to break down protein. Well, other enzymes are also made for proteins. And so we don't want to be putting them in the same pill. Exactly. So um, betaine HCL is a wonderful supplement that I think everybody should take. And it's a game changer when it comes to bloating. I've had some people who I always ask my patients to rate their bloating after they eat or whenever they experience their symptoms, 10 being, I look like I'm pregnant. And I'll have patients who come in with, who rate themselves at an eight or a 10, and I start them on digestive enzymes and they'll come down to like a four or a five. And that's huge just by giving them a digestive enzyme. But what's good about the digestive enzyme with betaine HCL, yes, I, I kind of misspoke earlier. It's not really a Band-Aid because bringing in that acidity actually does start to rebalance the gut. Another job of the acid in the stomach is to kill bad bacteria and unwanted microbes. And so now that we're doing that, we're bringing those acids in, we actually do start to see the balance start to occur. And we also start to retrain the other organs in the digestive system, specifically the pancreas and the gallbladder. When we have enough acidity, that's what triggers those other two organs to release their enzymes for breaking down food. So we actually are correcting a lot of the imbalances and the, the, the kind of like the miscommunication that's happening in the digestive system. So hands down, that is my go-to. Um, digestive enzyme. Now there are other ones that have like amylase and lipase and protease. They, they break down proteins and fats and carbs, and they are also helpful. Um, I just see that my patients just always thrive on the betaine HCL. How about you? Do you use any digestive enzymes? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't typically start with the digestive enzymes. Um, my go-to is usually like the severe dietary changes. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> reducing stress and the probiotics. Yeah. Um, occasionally, like if there's been gallbladder removal, then that is my go-to is like some type of super enzymes, um, to make sure that that is being stimulated. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's normally my go-to and I do love betaine HCL though. Um, I have had to put some clients on it and they always report great changes. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to kind of wrap things up with is how does, how does one's gut get imbalanced? We we're in literally this endemic, it seems of yeah. people suffering. So how did we get here? What, why? Great question. I would say the number one gut killer out there is going to be antibiotics and people don't realize you know, I always hear my patients say, well, I only, I only take antibiotics once a year, or maybe it's every other year. And that's a lot. <laughs> You're not supposed to have them. When you take an antibiotic, it's an, it's an atomic bomb to the gut. And what it does is it kills the bad guys that may be in there, but it's also killing all your good guys. And what's left are the more angry and the more virulent ones. And now this is where the imbalance starts to occur. In addition to that, when we lower our bacterial population, now we're allowing our fungal population to overgrow or what most people identify with as candida and yeast. And so now we start to see an overgrowth of yeast and candida and major cause of anxiety and leaky gut syndrome. So now we're creating this imbalance with antibiotics. So we have what we can get prescribed from our doctors, but what most people don't realize is that we also get antibiotics in our meat supply. And that's when you're eating regular conventional meat at restaurants or if you're not buying organic. So 70% of all the antibiotics used in America is used in agriculture, livestock, and raising animals. So we need to understand that eating high-quality, grass-fed, organic, pastured proteins and animals is extremely important in reducing your antibiotic exposure. Now, there's other things in our diet that act like antibiotics too. So to touch on things like food preservatives, another word for antibiotic, um, chlorine in the tap water, the reason why it was put in there was to kill microbes. So now when we drink it, we kill the microbes in our gut. 
And then the next thing would be pesticides and herbicides. Again, they're meant to kill microbes and bugs and things that we don't want. And so there's a lot of things that show up chemicals in our diet that if you just ate organic, you would eliminate some of the exposures to a lot of these things. So that would probably be my number one gut killer is antibiotics, exposure from doctors, medications, animals, and then chemicals that act like antibiotics in our body. Now to further that, there's more, right? So our standard diet also causes a gut imbalance. We're eating a lot of sugar. Everything that we eat is refined and floured. You know, we have our pancakes and our toast and bread for breakfast and bagels, and we have our sandwiches and wraps for lunch, and then we have pasta and potatoes and everything you can think of and desserts for dinner. It's just so much floured products and so much sugar that we're feeding the wrong types of bacteria. Your gut grow based on what you eat. So you're going to feed them with what you're putting in your mouth. So if you're constantly eating sugar, you're going to grow the guys that are designed to break down sugar. One thing we didn't also talk about was the one of the things that causes bloating, right? A certain bacteria, they digest three things. The first is sugar, the next is starch, and the third is fiber. And so one of the biggest causes of bloating is actually fruit because fruit contains all three. Where if you had a vegetable like sweet potato, you would just have the starch and the fiber. You've only got two out of the three in there, right? So you're, you're seeing that certain foods can trigger certain people, but that's what they feed on. And that's because that's what we're constantly eating. So they just overgrow. And all of a sudden we have all this fact, we have all this bloating. So what we eat is a big problem. And then I would say, we just don't eat enough fiber as well. We have a very low fiber diet and fiber is what feeds the good bacteria in our GI tract. So it's a combination of a lot of things, antibiotics, chemicals, too much sugar, and low fiber diet. Yeah. Yeah. And what you mentioned earlier about, you know, we have this hygienic sense that we have to be sanitary. Everything is sanitized yeah. like crazy now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a huge, huge factor as well. So, um, we always, I always am telling clients, you know, if you have to take an antibiotic, make sure you're repopulating afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, recommendations there in terms of not doing it at the same time as the antibiotic and waiting till after, or are you a promoter of taking it at the same time? Yeah, no, take it on the same days. Absolutely. Um, There's, like I said, mentioned earlier, probiotics help antibiotic associated diarrhea. So that means that when you take it together with an antibiotic, we're reducing symptoms of diarrhea. So what I would say is take them on the same day. Just don't don't take them together at the same exact moment of that day. So if you're taking your antibiotic in the morning and at night, you're going to take your probiotic at lunchtime in the middle of the day when it has more time to survive. And then you're obviously going to continue that probiotic for at least, and I would say the bare minimum is three months. Cause like I said, antibiotics are an atomic bomb. They wipe everything out. So you gotta really be good with your diet, getting a lot of fiber, taking your probiotics, eating probiotic foods, and maybe even taking some fiber supplements because I know I do this for a living. I talk about nutrition and gut health and food all day long, and I don't eat the perfect diet. I don't eat eight to 10 servings of vegetables every day, so, and I'm not getting enough fiber with some of the foods that I'm eating. So I that's where supplements come in is they supplement your diet. So I love fiber powder supplements to kind of help. All right, I didn't eat enough vegetables today. Boom, let me just take a scoop of that and I'll, I'll cover what I'm missing. Yes, I love that. Oh. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. And um, closing statements, like you guys ultimately, you know, gut health is likely suffering right now. If you're suffering from probably any symptom, we can go back to, is your gut health suffering? And the answer is likely to be yes. So, you know, we've got amazing practitioners out here doing some amazing work in order to help you feel better now. Um, so thank you. What what do you have going on in your world? You know, pimp yourself out right now. Where can my <laughs> listeners kind of reach you at? Go ahead. Yeah, sure. So I got a free recipe on my website that starts to correct your gut health and helps with bloating and constipation and reflux and some of your IBS symptoms. So it's my belly bloating fixer elixir tea. You can get that recipe when you go to my website. Is box will pop up, put your email address in, you get access right away. As soon as you start drinking that, you will see a difference within that day or two of starting. Um, bloating will go down, constipation gets better, everything changes. And that's because we're increasing the acidity of your gut. So get that recipe ASAP. And then the next thing I have is an online course that people can take. It's a cell phone app. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. 
that in five to 10 minutes a day, you, you will learn exactly what's causing your bloating and, and reflux and IBS symptoms and exactly what you need to do to fix it. And you're going to feel better within a week of starting this program. I cover exactly what you should eat. I give you recipes. I tell you what supplements you should take. And in fact, there are three supplements included in your purchase of the course. So you're going to get your first three starting products. And then after you're done the two-week course, I give you an entire plan for the next five months on what you need to do to fix your gut and what to look out for. And by the end of that four to five month period, you're going to be able to eat all foods again. So it's super exciting to bring foods back into people's diet because our, like I said, our gut needs diversity. It loves variety. I don't want you restricting all your foods. Oh, so amazing. And where can people reach you at? Yeah. So my Instagram, my YouTube, my Facebook is at Life Mod Solutions. I'll spell that. It's L-I-F-E-M-O-D-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S. Um, so Life Mod Solutions, uh, you can find me there. And that's my website, lifemodsolutions.com. Perfect. And everything will be linked in the show notes also. So thank you so much for being here. I, I hope everyone has enjoyed this and you guys listen to it hundreds of times. If you have to take notes, um, you know, this is, this is an amazing, amazing, um, share. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. Hello. Hello. And welcome, welcome, welcome. You guys, this is going to be such a good episode today. Oh my gosh. Today, um, I'm going to be doing an interview with Dr. Laura Dana Shapson. She's the founder of Life Mod Solutions, which is a beautiful holistic health practice in Newtown, Pennsylvania. She is a pharmacist turned holistic lady with a mission, you guys. She wants to empower her patients to know that they can heal at any age by providing answers, education, and tools to live more naturally in our modern world. She earned her doctor of pharmacy degree at Temple University in 2012, is a pharmacist licensed in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And in addition, she's a certified primal health coach, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, a Reiki level two practitioner, and trained in energy medicine using muscle response testing techniques to analyze neurological reflexes. To say that I'm not in love with her just by reading her bio is an understatement and I am just so grateful that she reached out and that we're having this beautiful conversation today for you. She's so, so passionate about teaching others how to just regain control of their health so that they can take on life challenges full of youth, energy, and vitality. So I really, really hope that you enjoy this episode. And just before we dive in, I want to just quickly talk about a free masterclass that I'm offering next Wednesday, November the 15th at 11am. It's going to be the three steps to eliminating PMS, painful periods, and hormonal imbalances and how to reclaim your life. Basically, we're going to dive into the exact steps that I took to heal my periods and how I now coach clients to do the same. So if you want to join, the link is going to be in the show notes to sign up and it's going to be so awesome. I'm just getting this huge internal nudge the last 48 hours that I have to do this free masterclass ASAP to get this knowledge out there to the people that need it. So um, next Wednesday, if you can't make it live, still sign up so that you can get access to the replay. So I hope to see you all there. And oh my gosh, enjoy this episode so, so much. <laughs> 